All right, we are back with part two of our discussion. Here we tackled uh, Tenet in the first part. Uh, we've sort of cut it out, so if you want to go and just listen to it as its own sort of little review, um, feel free, and we'll probably discuss it more um, once things actually come out uh, nationwide. But we will continue here with our regularly scheduled Soderbergh show um, for this week, uh, just sort of leading up. I've been watching a ton of Soderbergh. I think my mind is like a little bit melted. Uh, so I've been watching, uh, I, I've been watching um, uh, Vanderpump Rules in, in between to like sort of cleanse myself and not think. And as a result, I ended up watching the movie The Row because a, a cast member from that show uh, is in the row. <laughs> and uh, it's not a good movie at all. Uh, no surprise there. <laughs> it's an awful movie. It's like, I've never seen such a bad movie. The, um, the repeated use of police car uh, footage, like stock footage, was, was really baffling. Uh, I thought that was... It was awful. Um, and then the other movie I, I watched, so Criterion had um, uh, a masterclass that they posted for the director, Kelly Reichert, who released her movie First Cow this year. And she does a lot of other really small budget um, movies. And I watched one called Old Joy, which is probably the most calming movie I think I've ever seen. Like uh, here, I'll I'm going to tell you the entire plot of this movie right now. It's two guys, they're friends, they haven't seen each other for a while. They go on a road trip to a, to a hot springs, they bathe in the hot springs, they drive back home. That's it's the locked. plot. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's, it's very interesting to watch. It's the dynamic between the two is really interesting and um, it's both soothing and fascinating. So, um, you know, there's a recommendation as well if you just want it's also incredibly short. It's an hour and 13 minutes. Two follow-ups on what you just said. I've been meaning to ask you if you would possibly want to do First Cow for a movie club. I would love to. I love Kelly Riker. <laughs> okay. I've been thinking about that. I was like, it'd be nice of us to do something in 2020 that we both have access to that doesn't break the bank. <laughs> and number two, uh, your girl, Lala Kent. I'm assuming that's who you're talking about. Yes. Yes, it is Lala. Uh there was a scene in this new movie I watched called Spree where an Uber driver kills his passengers. Uh, Lala Kent gets in the car. Frankie Grande gets in the car. And the love of my life, Misha Barton, gets in the car. Uh-huh. Uh, he proceeds to get all three killed. And it was a mind-blowing scene. My, my girlfriend was like, is that Frankie Grande? <laughs> <laughs> Lala, I, I don't know. I don't know how she was in Spree. She's like fine in the row fine to not good but like everybody else is so not good that it's just like i guess yeah i was was just i was just like i guess she's doing okay i don't know if you read my review to the row but my review to the row is unreasonably bad randy couture might be one of the worst actors living he he is a horrible actor (laughs) and um this is really mean but his, his cauliflower ear in both ears was so distracting. 
I couldn't stop looking at it. I couldn't get past him killing his partner and then screaming the F word as loud as he could. And then like two weeks later, he's back. Yeah. He's like, he just like goes on a bender for a weekend. And then he, he, for some reason, he's still showing up at crime scenes, even though he's been kicked off the force. And then the police chief, after like two scenes where he's at crime scenes, even though he's not allowed to be there, he's just like, is, or the police chief is just like, ah, we need you. You're back on the force. Gives him his badge and his gun again. Could you imagine him calling his like partner's wife and like, hey, I'm not a very good shot and I killed your, I killed your husband. That's on, that's on me. Yeah, my B. I may have shot your husband. My bad. Um, what's your quick question for this week, Wolf? So there was a really upsetting passing this week in Hollywood where Chadwick Boseman, the acclaimed actor from 42, Black Panther, Get On Up, and other good movies like that, passed away. So I guess, how will you remember him? What was... uh, What's kind of your legacy of Chadwick Boseman? Well, I think um, I think first of all, it was incredibly like shocking to see him die, and uh, it was very sad. And I think the aftermath of that made me realize that like he just brought like brought like a level of class to all of his roles. He was always very good at like elevating whatever character he had, um, and he really like. He really just felt like a, a like symbol uh, almost on the screen for like, um, I don't know, just like, I, it seemed to me like a lot of people in the in the black community uh, really like respected and loved him, and it seemed like there was n- nobody had anything bad to say about him at, in the aftermath, and that you know everybody just really respected and loved him. So it's just really sad to think about. I think his legacy that he leaves behind is going to be, you know, a strong one. Like he's just played, he's played a ton of iconic roles, you know, like he played Thurgood Marshall and Jackie Robinson and Black Panther. Like he kind of feels like a real life superhero in a way. I don't know. Uh, What do you, what will you remember about him? Yeah. A lot of the same things you said. I just think he had a presence on the screen that, he seemed to have so naturally that so many actors and actresses would kill for. And he was just able to, you know, he, he brought to life so many great roles and even in movies that, you know, didn't really work. Like I, I watched 21 bridges that came out last year and it's just like a, a basic action cops versus the bad guys movie. And, you know, it's nothing special, but like just having him on the screen being like the main hero, like the protagonist of the, of the movie, it just kind of works. Like he, he had that ability to like, be given something that's a little mediocre and just bring it to life in a way that others probably couldn't. And it's hard not to think about like what could have been with some of the other performances that could have been his in the future. Like, I think he, you know, I think he had a real chance to be one of those guys when he got a little older who would have just been like a really good character actor. I think he had that kind of presence where it's like, Oh, here he is for 15 minutes in my movie. And he's like, the best person in the whole movie and he's just bringing it. And I just think we're missing out on someone who would have gone on to do great things. And, you know, now we have what he's done and it's a lot of great things. Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy to think about too, that like, and you're touching on this like a, a, a little bit is that, you know, we got some of his like bigger roles here, 
but it did feel like we were going to start seeing him do like more Oscar-y stuff, more like, uh, you know, like working with big name directors and things like that, you know, like uh, the five bloods came out this year and, um, you know, I think he's doing an August Wilson adaptation as well. It just feels like there's a lot more of that to come. And it's, um, sad that, that we're not going to see that come to fruition. Um, yeah, I agree. And I'm actually pretty happy. It seems like Disney has handled this really well, where they're more focused on like honoring the life of Chadwick Boseman rather than being like, what are we going to do about Black Panther 2? Because end of the day, who really cares? It's more important that we, you know, look back on what a great life Chadwick Boseman had. And I, uh, I definitely will make it a goal of mine to try to view all of his works because he's someone I'm, I will miss being able to see his new movies. And it seems like there's a lot of, it's a small but like distinguished set of films too. I don't feel like it's it's a hard one to um, go through and find good choices to watch, you know. Yes, I definitely want to watch Get On Up eventually and stuff like and Marshall. I don't know much about Thurgood Marshall, so that would be kind of cool to learn. <laughs> and Draft missed... Day, uh, his most like oh Draft role. Day, God. oh Draft Day. <laughs> What's his name in Draft Day? I had his uh, name down for a while and I forgot it. I'm looking it up now. Uh, I love <laughs> Draft Day is like one of the most completely illogical movies if you know anything about the NFL draft. Vontae Mack. Uh, yeah, that's what it is. Uh, what's that movie club? <laughs> I would do that tomorrow. <laughs> <Yeah>. Soon. <laughs> Soon. <laughs> well, it's a shame. I hope we don't have to do too many of these quick questions like this because it, it hurts. Yeah, this was a this was a bummer. Quick question, but we I'm glad we addressed it at least, and um, you know, hopefully, hopefully uh, his family is coping okay, and that you know, um, everybody can remember him in a fond light at least. Hundred um, percent. Now, now that we've gotten through the heavy stuff. Uh, on to our Steven Soderbergh draft. Uh, Wolf, you have the first pick. You have been on the clock since uh, since we announced this two pods ago. Um, who oh, are you taking? Oh, there's a clock? Oh, in that case, I'm going to be like most NFL teams and wait until the clock's about to go up, even though I've had three months to think about my pick. So how, how's your day going, Hurls? I'm kidding. Should All I- right. Should I do the ESPN like pick is in music like? All right, my first pick is actually I would uh, you know now that I've seen seventeen <laughs> Steven Soderbergh films, I feel like this is one of his like maybe least Soderbergh esque films, but it also represents something I love about him so well, and I'm picking Aaron Brockovich. Okay. Good choice. And Good choice. I'm not going to kill it. I'm not going to overdo it because you could listen to a podcast from like two months ago where we talked in great detail about Aaron Brockovich as it won our five-star podcast Oscar from oh, the year yeah. 2001. I don't remember. That sounds Aaron, right. Why I love Aaron Brockovich is why I love a lot of Soderbergh movies is he creates he creates these characters, whether they're based on real people like Aaron Brockovich or they're based on completely fake people like 
the oceans movies that we'll get to, I imagine, very soon. <laughs> yes, uh, very, very soon. <laughs> yeah, he just creates characters that like you just know and you understand them, and they have like these full character arcs, and they're just like very humanized characters. Like he create even in the behind the candelabra, he creates humanized characters. Like even these wild characters, he's able to be like, boom, this is this person. And Aaron Brockovich, he creates he has Julia Roberts who just brings to life Aaron Brockovich in a way that I don't know if any other director could have or if anyone else even playing you know julia roberts you know and was the perfect person to play that role and the other thing i love about this movie uh is the fact that it's a biopic and in most biopics you're like oh my god like we're focused on one person the whole time and it gets really old and it's like it's like one or two main people and you feel like you're missing out on like everything else going on in the world and aaron brockovich does a great job of bringing out the other key people in it like albert finney and aaron eckhart and it's just one of those movies where i feel like you could just keep watching it even though you know exactly what's going to happen every time and you do see a little bit of his like soderbergh-esque things in that movie like there's a lot of the color yellow soderbergh loves the color yellow (laughs) the yellow and then really harsh blue (laughs) yes Uh, i wonder if that movie's going to come up we'll we'll, we'll, we won't we we won't i don't think we're going to get there but we might get there uh I think it's a surprise pick at number one, but I think it captures everything and why I love Soderbergh so much. He's, he just, he'll try anything. He'll do any type of movie and do a good job of it. And a biopic right there at number one, and I'm proud of my pick. And, you know, any thoughts? I agree with everything you said. Um, like you said, there's, there's a whole podcast where we gush about this uh, if you want to hear, like, our in-depth thoughts. But, yeah, Julia Roberts is just amazing. In this role, it's sort of like the most fun version of her, you know, where she's just kind of like the scrappy person that's, um, you know, working hard and she's going to get ahead by by being the hardest worker. Um, and I, I just love that about her in this movie. And Albert Finney is great as just like her exasperated boss. Like, I love just watching her and be like, God, ah, uh, uh <laughs> And I, I like how it turns it on its head at the end where he gives her the check and she's complaining at him and then he, she looks at the check and then uh, from the set of it, oh, it's amazing. Uh, and then it, it's sort of, like you said, like the best, a great version of the biopic in the sense that like it teaches you something, it feels educational, but Soderbergh, I think above all else, um, uh, knows just how to make a compelling movie. I think that's my big takeaway after watching 22 of his movies uh, these past few weeks is that like Soderbergh is just like, uh, I, I, he just is, he's going to show up and he's just going to make something that's at least fun to watch. And that's definitely this. And yeah, definitely like, I think a very accessible version of, of his movies because I think later on, he starts like experimenting a lot. And even, even this year in traffic, it feels like him doing some things that don't necessarily work, but this is just like him being like, I'm just going to show up like no nonsense, just make a great movie. And that's what he did. I agree. Are you ready to move on to your number two under your first pick? Yes, sir. Um, So my first pick um, here, we are only allowing one oceans movie to be picked. I am going to take Ocean's Eleven as the one Ocean's movie. We'll leave this as a discussion, though, for for all Ocean's movies. Um, 
the the I'll start with eleven though. The reason why this is my favorite one is I think, sort of like Aaron Brockovich, nothing feels out of place here. He like we said, he likes to experiment, but um, this one is just like every scene is awesome. I love watching them put the band together. Their cast is just amazing. George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, um, Carl Reiner, uh, <laughs> just everybody in their crew is awesome. Casey Affleck, Don Cheadle, Elliot Gould, Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac, I, I love him in these movies. Um, and then Andy Garcia is a great villain. And uh, Julia Roberts doesn't have a ton to do, but she's great in the scenes that she's in. Um, and uh, you just love seeing the cast all together and having a ton of fun. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from watching all, all three of these movies too, is just being like, clearly everybody was just having a great time making these movies, but it's also a great time to watch. And it's just super well done. And it just feels like, in a way, it just feels like the baseline of like what you should be doing with a heist movie. It's like, you should be making a heist movie that it's clever, it's funny, it's fun to watch. It balances drama and comedy well. Um, and it just makes you fall in love with the characters. And um, watching them rip off Terry Benedict's casinos and all of the hoops that they jump through is just so fascinating. And then having it culminate in the scene where they are uh, in front of the fountains in Vegas, it gives me chills every time. So I just felt like I had to go with Ocean's Eleven at number two. Yeah, I, I love uh, I love two of the Ocean's movies, and I and I and I like one of the other. I, I really like Ocean's Eleven and Thirteen, and I and I like Twelve. Uh, Ocean's Eleven is a lot of fun. I, I uh, you don't see movies like that anymore where they get an ensemble. You see movies like that with an ensemble like that, but they're superhero movies. But it's such a yeah, true. <laughs> a, a, a great ensemble of actors and just the chemistry in that movie is incredible. And I think a lot, I you know, I think a lot of that is the fact that like Clooney and Pitt seem like they're probably friends and they all know each other well. But I think a lot of it's due to Soderbergh. I just think he must create like a good environment for people to really do their thing and really cook and. All the Ocean's movies, I think they really gave the opportunity for like the actors to really like chew on the scenery a little bit and move around and kind of do their thing. And he let Brad Pitt eat as much as he wanted to throughout Ocean's Eleven. And yeah, I, I was just gonna say it does feel it like right from the beginning he just casts everybody perfectly. Mm -hmm. You know, like George Clooney gets to act like he's the coolest guy in the room. Like you said, Brad Pitt, he like almost seems like annoyed by life in a way and he's just eating and like throwing good one-liners matt damon is like he's like as good as everybody else but he just wants the respect on his own yeah. and yeah. casey affleck just fighting with scott Kahn. i love that uh <laughs> Andy Garcia just doggedly chasing everyone around i know casey affleck is a complicated figure now but they have a funny role in the movie in the movies Casey Affleck has weird roles all over the place. He's like the older brother in a, in like the American Pie series, which is crazy. He's in the movie. He's in one and two for a combined like five minutes, but it's incredible. It's like Casey Affleck. But like, really, <laughs> yeah, I, I really like I really like Ocean's Eleven. I think it's uh, one of those movies. Like I've only seen it one time because I just recently saw it this year. But uh, I think it's a movie I'll probably revisit a lot. And it's just a really rewatchable movie. I I I, I get the feeling just because it's like another opportunity to hang out with these. You know, they're bank robbers. I mean, they're not bank They're robbers. They're thieves. But they're still, like, the guys you want to hang out with. It's so convoluted how they, like, like when they go through how they actually, like, 
did the heist, and there's nothing I like more than when Steven Soderbergh explains the heist to me. Exactly. It, it just does such a good pay, a job of paying it all off, and um, yeah, it just sets up the other two Oceans movies so well, and uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's flawless to me. It's the only one that I gave uh, five stars to out of any of Soderbergh's movies, and it's, it's probably my favorite. I just, uh, I just love it. Um, let's discuss Oceans 12 and 13 a little bit. What do you think about Oceans 12, Wolf? I'm okay with it. I think the plot's a little, I like, I mean, I like a movie with a plot and I feel like that plot is a little, uh, it's a little less than the other two because it's more of like, a everyone's back. We're traveling Europe <laughs> where we're hanging out with the Fox. Like we're just trying to get this robbery. And then like the actual heist at the end when Julia Roberts pretends to be Julia Roberts is incredible it's really good, Matt Damon. I love how they bring in Matt Damon's parents. <laughs> yeah, yes. His parents, the, the casting of his parents, I think is my favorite, one of my favorite castings in the whole series. <laughs> I, uh, it's, like, it's like a fun movie. Like, I definitely wouldn't, like, you know, I, I wouldn't, like, I don't, I think it, what am I trying to say? It's, it's definitely not my favorite Oceans movie, and I think there's, like, just, like, the least good of the three, I guess I would say, but it's definitely a, it's a solid movie still. And I think it's a lot of fun to watch. That scene with Julia Roberts playing Julia Roberts is that you mentioned it before is just awesome. And I love Bruce Willis is just like confused reactions. Uh, And uh, yeah, this one is like, it's really like, inaccessible in a lot of ways like it does feel like a big inside joke but i will say like so i didn't like this when i had seen it when i was younger and then this time i I rewatched it and i was like wow i am really genuinely enjoying oceans 12 a lot and uh i feel like it's one that i would never like skip when i'm going through them oh no because it does feel um it does feel like in a league with all of them. And I think it's like three of three, but not by far. No, I, I mean, I didn't, I hope I didn't like come off. Oh, no, no. I just like, I hated it. Like, no, I like the movie. I would never skip it. Any opportunity just to be like, oh, another two hours with these guys. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it just kind of has, it has the weakest reputation out of all three of them. And I kind of, I don't understand why, because people act like it's awful, but I don't think it is at all. And I think it's actually, so I think, they do a good job of like each of the three movies is like kind of a showcase for one of the leads. So like uh, Oceans 11 is, is Clooney's movie and Oceans 12 is definitely Brad Pitt's movie in a lot of ways. Yep. And then um, Oceans 13 is feels like Damon's movie. Oh yeah. Um, But I, I like that. I think this like fits for being Pitt's character's movie and seeing his romance, like, on-again, off-again thing with Catherine Zeta-Jones is really well done. I think it's really fascinating. Um, I also like the addition of Vincent Cassell to this movie and his, like, dancing through the lasers scene I love. <laughs> yes. I really liked that. I really liked him in the movie. I thought uh, I thought it was cool they had, like, a villain. Like, not a villain, but, like, a competitor more than anything. Yeah. They're, like, almost – they're, like, we're such good thieves that now – we have to like make a game out of it in order to make it interesting. I like, I liked that a lot too. 
I think this one also feels like the hardest heist that they pulled off just because they all end up getting arrested, even though that's like, spoiler alert, that's the plan. But like, it does like, it was the one where I was like, damn, how did they, it's maybe it's overly convoluted, but I was like, damn, how did they do that? Yeah, <laughs> definitely a little convoluted. <laughs> um, and then we'll move on to the, uh, I think our collective second favorite. It might be even your favorite, right? Ocean's 13. I love Ocean's 13. I don't know if it's my favorite. I think it's really close with Ocean's 11. I just think it's such a fun movie. There's no like wasted time. Like it's not I, like I love when they introduce the group and it's always hilarious, but they don't really have to do that in this one because they're like, yes, you know, the group Pacino is fantastic in it. And it's just like one more heist and it's just like a heist the whole movie. It feels like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's I think that's the best part about this movie is that like the last like forty five minutes, yeah. it's just all a heist. Yeah, it's so it's just payoff after payoff. It's amazing. Um, I also will say I I think so. So this is Ocean's Thirteen is the one where they reveal his dad, Matt Damon's dad, and uh, the fact that his parents are Nan Pierce from from Succession and then Marty Funkhauser from Curb Your Enthusiasm. I was like dying laughing. I thought that was amazing. <laughs> I love the ending of the movie when they kind of like break the fourth wall and they're like, oh, you're going to go take a f- another break and like have another kid and stuff like that. <laughs> Where like the conversations like Clooney and Pitt are having on their way out or like kind of what they're really doing in real life, which is funny. Yeah, exactly. It balances the like meta level of all of the movies really well. Oh, yeah. Um, also, Matt Damon's fake nose. Hmm. Just amazing. <laughs> Matt Damon doing stuff to his face is a fun Soderbergh uh, trick. Yeah, true. <laughs> he, it, it seems like a uh, it seems like a point of pride for him at this at this point. Well, I'm glad Should we, we move to... on? Pick number three here. Yeah. Um. I'm gonna pick Sex Lies and Videotape at number three. All right. Oh. Good choice. Google Docs capitalizes the S even though Steven Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh says heck no we're not capitalizing that S, it's, <laughs> S. Uh, it's maybe his first feature length film am I am I correct in saying that yes sir and it has an incredible cast of Andy McDowell an actress I really like Peter Gallagher the wonderful father from the OC yes. James Spader and Laura San Giacomo who I kept thinking Laura San Giacomo looked like uh like the main love interest in a goofy movie. <laughs> I can see it. Yeah, I they just. I kept looking at her and be like, "Is that the goofy movie girl?" Like uh, really? This movie's amazing. It, it's like truly, truly incredible. It's such a. Apparently, this movie like invented indie movies in the U.S. Like it was like one of the first ones to, like, find a mainstream audience. And I think this movie's so great because it's like you can really tell it's like Soderbergh like early on like testing all the stuff that he eventually like maybe overdoes maybe doesn't like maybe like really finds his footing later in his films and I just love how this story is about like this like woman and her husband like struggling like he's having an affair with her sister and then like Spader comes in and he's like impotent and like only gets off to like these videos of girls talking about their sex lives and it's like the weirdest plot in the world, but like this movie and Soderbergh understands it's like, it has nothing really happening besides a bunch of conversations between like 
characters that I found to be like incredibly interesting. And he like moves the camera a lot to like make you feel like a lot's like happening in the scene. And I each of the characters at a different point, besides really Peter Gallagher, he's like a complete jackass in this movie. <laughs> I was like really like kind of understanding where they were coming from. Where like Andy McDowell just like. I don't know. You've seen this movie a little bit more recently than I have, but like it just kind of felt like Annie McDowell was like trying to find her footing and like some freedom and like this loveless marriage that she finds herself in, and her sister's just trying to like do her thing. It felt like she just like this independent woman who was just trying to like live yeah. her life, and she was stuck with her. I love how whenever she like would kind of like tell Peter Gallagher no, and he was just like, "What? What? I yeah, can't come over now." Mind. Yeah, he's just so pissed. <laughs> And Spader such an interesting character. I think this is a movie that I'd recommend to everybody if they can find it. And yeah. uh, it's a great film. Yeah, I had to. Uh, I had to just purchase it. I just had to bite the bullet and be like, I guess this is my movie now. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I watched it this morning, and yeah, it was it was really great. Like you said, it is just people talking in rooms, and it has no right being so compelling, but it is. And watching Spader just kind of like come in and blow up their marriage, which probably wasn't even that great to begin with. Uh, it, was, it was really fascinating to watch. I really like the McDa- dynamic between McDowell and uh, is it San Giacomo? Is that how you say your name? We're going to sure. go with that. We'll go with it. I, we'll, call, we'll call her. We'll bring her in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now up on the line, now on the other line, Laura San Giacomo. I'll just say Laura. The the uh, the uh, dynamic between Andy and Laura is really fascinating. Like they're like sisters, but they don't really seem to have like a lot of affection towards each other or anything like that. And then Peter Gallagher seems to be like playing them off of the, each other with that. And then Spader, he's really like understated and a lot different than I thought he was going to be in this movie, but. I think that's actually a really good thing. And I thought he was, I thought he was really great. And uh, yeah, I just, I didn't know what to expect from this movie, but it like delivered. Yeah. It's a really great movie, I think. And it's one I'd like want to watch again, just so I can like really dive into the conversations more knowing like where the plot's headed. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a cool Spader performance. James Spader makes a lot of, uh, he's just like an interesting figure to me. And yeah. I think this was like a cool performance of his. I definitely haven't seen enough of like James Spader's movies from the eighties and nineties. Um, and it just seems like he was, he just seems like a very interesting actor. I don't know. He brings like some like weird dynamism to himself, to his roles. Like uh, I thought his acting in the scene where he um, is, where he is doing the first interview uh, was, was really good. And then obviously it, the first interview was Cynthia. And then obviously um, when he's interviewing Anne, I thought his performances of both of those scenes were really good. And it made the, it made those scenes especially pop, but yeah, the whole movie is just phenomenal. Yeah. I, I, James Spader with hair. always just like bring <laughs> something out in me. It's like weird, like pretty in pink. He was weird. James Spader rocking my quarantine look. Yeah, <laughs> the, like mullety. <laughs> it's so much hair. What's your uh, what's your what's your second pick? So, um, I'm gonna go with a another movie that we uh, covered here on the Five Star Movie Podcast. 
um, for one of our earliest episodes. So we, we won't have to spend um, too much time on it, but I'm taking out of sight the movie with Jennifer Lopez and George Clooney. Uh, just phenomenal chemistry between George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. Um, it's an uh, adaptation of an Elmore Leonard novel, who's a novelist I, I like a lot. I mean, it really brings the, his characters to life. It brings out a lot of the humor um, and a lot of the like witty banter and fun. Um, and seeing a lot of these actors, uh, you know, work with this material is really great. Like, uh, you know, some of the supporting roles, like Michael Keaton is amazing. Dennis Farina as um, Jennifer Lopez's dad is awesome. Catherine Keener, Albert Brooks, Steve Zahn, Luis Guzman, Ving Rhames, Don Cheadle. It's just the stacked cast. And um, I, I, I really love this movie and I like it more and more every time I watch it. Um, so, you know, I felt like I had to take it here at number, at number two um, oh. out of sight. A really, uh, a really like confident George Clooney in this movie. It's like a different. I feel like most of the Clooney I see is like mid two thousands Clooney, and it, it is definitely like, I, like he definitely was like a different person. It almost felt like in the nineties, young Clooney. Yeah, it's strange not seeing him be like the forty five year old like right? Silver Fox. You know, I agree, and uh, it's also kind of cool to see where like Jennifer Lopez has come from, like the love interest and like out of sight to like headlining her own hustlers movie where she got mm-hmm. should have gotten an Oscar nomination. But um yeah, Out of Sight was a cool movie to get to watch. I should be watch it. I'm I'm definitely gonna watch it again someday. Whenever I it think comes it, to streaming. <laughs> I, I think it's one that um because I, I I've I've watched it like four or five times. Every time it's kind of like notched up another half star or so uh, on my letterbox because I'll just start seeing more things in it. You know, like I think the first time you watch it, you're like, Oh, okay. And then like um, the more and more you watch it, the more like certain scenes pop out and like certain things. Cause it, the, the plot could seem very far fetched. And I think at the first time around it kind of does. And then you continuously watch it and you're getting the, like um, you're getting like the seeds of what's happening. And then you're like, Oh, okay. And it just makes the movie better better for me every time. I think that movie has a lot of yellow for Soderbergh. And I think yes. it's by far the most fun he's had editing a movie. <laughs> uh, uh, in, in hindsight, though, does it have the most yellow? No. <laughs> it's not traffic. It's not, not traffic. Nothing. God damn. I, I think Miami looks beautiful in the movie, by the way. I, oh, I think dude, it looks great. Miami looks good in like every movie. Like they make Miami yeah. like Bad Boys, Bad Boys Two, like Miami Vice. Miami just looks sick, and Soderbergh definitely captures that very, he very definitely well. Brings out the like. It sort of reminds me a lot of. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this movie, but um, the Birdcage with Robin Williams, where it's bringing out like a lot of like the pinks and kind of like. Uh, um, eccentric side of miami i love it it's great great. so for my next pick this is like my last pick before i kind of get like the weeds of like do i pick this movie or this movie um this is one of my first soderbergh experiences i'm gonna take high flying bird ah okay nice choice Uh, i love high flying bird like i think soderbergh does a nice job of like 
making a lot of different movies for a lot of different interests. And this is kind of the Soderbergh movie if you like sports and not just sports, mm-hmm. like kind of like what goes on behind the scenes. And in this movie, you get to follow Andre Holland around as he kind of like um, tries to figure out with his rookie client, like what's going on, like during the like this lockout and how they're going to handle it. And it's like you just kind of learn a lot and like see what a day to day life might be like for an agent. I don't know if it's perfectly accurate, but like I'm going to go with it. Feels that. Yeah, I have nothing else to base it on. So I'm like, I'm going with it. And I think it's a really nice, like, it's a really good Andre Holland performance. I don't know if a really bad Andre Holland performance exists, but and <laughs> it came out last year. Like, it's a 2019 movie, and I really like Zazie Beats in it. I forgot her name. Mm-hmm. She was completely underutilized in The Joker, but that's for, yeah. that's for her, a never, that's for a never podcast, as I would say. Her character is definitely problematic in The Joker, but she's a phenomenal in this movie. And the best part of High Flying Bird is the fact that it was like shot on an iPhone. It looks great. And it was directly to Netflix, super accessible to everybody. And it's just like a, a cool Soderbergh movie. You know, he's a working director, which I love about him. And he made two movies last year. And this was the second. This, I don't know when this came out, but, you know, it's a, it's a great movie. And I really would recommend it to anyone who has an inkling of an interest in sports. Yeah, it's it feels like both a movie that is incredibly compelling if you're a sports fan, but is also well done and just a good movie if you're not a sports fan. You know, I haven't really tested out that theory, but I think just the the way the like power dynamics play between each other, watching Andre Holland kind of um, negotiate with mm-hmm. Zachary Quinto at his own agency. With um, you know, with the player himself, with Zazie Beats, his assistant, with Kyle McLaughlin, the the NBA commissioner, who he's awesome in this movie. I love Kyle McLaughlin. I love him in this movie specifically, um, and like with the mom of the other uh, kid that he wants to represent. Like, it's just it, it's just fascinating watching him walk to all these locations in New York, and um, I I uh, it this really feels like Soderbergh. Uh, like reinventing the way he can make movies into the 2020s where he can just be like, I can make phenomenally shot movies with good actors in them that have really small crews because I'm shooting it, directing it and editing it. And we're using an iPhone and a small setup and I'm going to make the movies I want to make. And I'm, I'm excited for that. Absolutely. And I think it's kind of cool that we have, you know, movies that are blockbusters like the Oceans movie. And, and then suddenly here's High Flying Bird, this tiny, I would, say, I would say it's a pretty small movie. You know, I don't know how many people have truly like sat down and watched it outside of like people who are like film buffs who are like, oh, Soderbergh, I'm in. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, he, he's, he's a uh, he can do a lot of different things and he can do a lot of different things very well. I think it's also a very inspired choice for him to cut in the interviews with basketball players too. Mm-hmm. It just feels oh, yeah. very up the moment, you know, in, in a good it. way. I'm going to watch that again. I haven't seen that in like nine months. I feel like that'll be like my pre, like that'll get me excited for basketball movie. Yeah. I, I, um, I watched it towards the beginning of quarantine and I said that I, I like to think, um, think of this, this quarantine as a CBA negotiation between me and mother nature. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. What's your next pick? I think I know what your next pick is. Maybe. So my my next pick. There's a lot of ways I could go here. Um, there's there's quite a few I love. I think though, 
I'm going to take, and this might be a bit of a shock. I'm going to take the limey with Terrence Stamp. Good pick. Um, Good movie. Tell him I'm coming. Tell him I'm fucking coming. Tell <laughs> when he who? kills that guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this movie I watched it earlier this year. Uh, I think I might have mentioned it on an on an earlier episode, mm-hmm. but it is uh, really well done. It is slightly confusing. It's very hazy. Uh, it's everything kind of blends into each other. It, Soderbergh. This is definitely one where he's experimenting and trying weird things. There's a lot of people talking, and you're not seeing the shot where they're talking. And elements of the story kind of blend together. Um, you don't really know what's supposed to be real or what's not um, in a lot of ways. But I think Terrence Stamp is really great in, in the lead role. And um, he just brings like a, a level of gravitas to, to the character. Um, and I like Luis Guzman, like kind of tagging around, tagging along with him to a lot of places. It's nice to see Luis Guzman like not doing just a comedic role, which I feel like is all he does now is he just plays like a, a chubby Latino guy. And it's nice to see him like have, have some like depth. Um, and as somebody that lives in Hollywood, I think it does a really good job of showing the sort of like two sides of Hollywood. So like sort of the grimier working class parts of the city versus which is like, you know, where we're seeing Luis Guzman a lot and Terrence Stamp a lot. And then contrasting that with um, uh, where you're seeing Peter Fonda uh, in this movie, which is, you know, a lot in like the hills and um, in the richer and nicer parts and kind of seeing the clash between those two sides um, as Terrence Stamp just like is looking for, you know, revenge over what happened to his daughter. I've got to say, Peter Fonda is phenomenal in this movie, too. And like the the montage where he's introduced, I think is probably like my favorite little scene of anything that Soderbergh has done. It's just su- super inventive and well done. And then I know you and I both talked about this. They spliced in footage from Ken Loach's film uh, Poor Cow from 1967 because uh, Terrence Stamp was in the movie and he uh, was like a young man in that. So they're using that as like a double for flashback footage of him. And it just works so well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't really have anything to add from what you said. I guess my one question is why do you think Soderbergh like used a technique of like having like Terrence Stamp's face be perfectly still, but then have his dialogue be going on from like a different scene? Like, why do you think he did that? So I think, um, uh, Allow me to allow me to throw in excuses for the noir genre again. I, I think that like part of it is just the conventions of the type of story. It's sort of like a neo noir thing, where um, you know neo noirs are are pretty notorious for being um, pretty hazily told, pretty like uh, obtuse, and like you're not really supposed to follow the plot. You're just kind of supposed to um, follow what's happening. It also just gets you in this weird like state of mind. I don't I don't know like it makes all of the dream sequences work a lot better for me and it makes me sort of question what is a dream sequence, what is real, you know? And I find that really fun in the movie to try like piece together those two things. Yeah, it sort of like forced me almost to like be confused even though like the plot itself is nothing like wait, what is this? Who's that? What's going on? It's like very like, yeah, he goes to try to find who killed his daughter and like killed yeah. her essentially. Like it's a very straightforward plot. 
you said wait the good oh i guess it was a noir i was like oh. yeah it was because i was trying to think i was like who's like where's the where's the sax and i was like oh yeah i guess the whole reason that she died more or less yeah uh, we get very that term gets it gets looser and looser as the years go by but <laughs> i you know for me i just look for like some sort of murder and some sort of sex involved with the murder no yeah Give me, give me violence and like somebody that shouldn't be looking for somebody, uh, and trying to like uncover secrets. And I, I, I'm, I'm probably a happy camper. I like the limey. I think it's. Uh, I was glad it was free. It's like an 89 minute watch. It was. Uh, it was a cool. It kind of made me feel like a film buff. I was like, what can we watching the limey? How many people see yeah. the limey? <laughs> you can. Uh, you watching it with the pinky up. It's like, oh, you haven't seen The Limey and you like Steven Soderbergh? Yeah, yeah that's the, that's the, uh, that's what gets you past the door, man. I, I you know what? Are you ready for my next pick? I feel like we're getting to a different era of my Soderbergh movies here. Let's do it. Yeah. So I have four of his movies at four stars, including The Limey, which I was thinking about taking here, but I had a feeling it was going to be off the board. So I got three movies to choose from. And I'm going to go with the one that hits closest to my heart. I'm going to go with The Informant. Ah, uh, yes. I, okay, I'm so glad you took this because um, I was probably going to take it next. <laughs> you know, I just love a movie about white-collar crime. Like, they don't make enough movies about, like, like business like this because there's just, like, no action. But, like, yeah. God. Oh, let me put the exclamation point. I'm sorry. Um uh, Based off a true story of someone who whistle blew, was a whistleblower for a big company, and they were all about price fixing. And price fixing, like, got got something feeling in me because we learned all about price fixing in school. And it's incredible, Matt Damon. The voiceovers are so good. And the voiceovers are even better once you realize that, like, he's bipolar. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, like, explains, like, his voiceovers that had little or nothing to do with what was going on around him. Uh, it's, uh, and you just, like, you kind of love how the whole time, like, Matt Damon, like, he gets more, like, he's, like, this, uh, like, he's this surveillance guy, like, he's wearing a wire, like, he's all proud of himself, like, he's helping, and I love the scene where he's just, like, looking in the mirror, he's like, they're gonna love me, like, I'm gonna be the president of the company, and his wife's like, <laughs> no, you're not, like, you just <laughs> got everyone fired and kicked out, and then it starts to unravel as you find out he was, like, lying the whole time. And, like, he was, like, stealing all this money. And it, it's just, like, this incredible movie where Soderbergh is, like, you know, he, like, adapts this. I don't know if you I don't think he wrote it. But, like, it's an adaptation from a book. And he just, like, he finds an actor he trusts in Matt Damon, who he's worked with countless times. And he's, like, hey, you're going to play this guy. And we're going to, like, create this, like, really watchable, good movie that's digestible to anyone who, like, has never heard of price fixing. I think it's still something that's super digestible and just like a movie that like if I had a group of friends over something, I'd be like, do I want to watch the informant? Like it's really basic. It's like a straightforward movie though. It's just a good movie. Like it's fun. Like I, like I had a really funny time watching it. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. It's a really funny movie. Uh, and Damon, Damon with his really crappy wig uh, <laughs> is, is a, a big draw. And yeah, the the voiceover, it's probably one of my favorite voiceovers uh, I've ever seen in a movie because it does just like, it just defies logic at some points. But that sort of fits, like you were saying, like this guy is just so, 
he's just a compulsive liar. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he just like, he just thinks that he can just lie his way to the top. It's sort of at first you're just like, oh, well, maybe he's a good guy and he's just caught up in the wrong thing. And then by the end of the movie, you're just like, no, this guy's a piece of shit. And he'll just lie until the cows come home. Because, like, my brain was jumping around to, like, other whistleblowing cases we learned about in school were like, oh, like, she got a big settlement for money because, like, she was brave enough to do it. And I was like, yeah, he's a brave guy. Like, he's, like, doing a good thing. <laughs> and then I love how, like, the very, like, one of the very last lines of his is like, yeah, that 11 and a half million that was stolen. Like, ah, yeah. And, and the guy's like, 11 and a half? I thought it was nine and a half. <laughs> like, he's like, what did I say? <laughs> The, like, house of cards is just always crumbling around him because he's just spinning this web of lies that, like, he just can't keep up with. I just couldn't get over when, like, the Washington Post calls his parents and he's and they're like, oh, we're alive. And, yep, he's, he's not adopted. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah and, they're like, what? And then the mom's <laughs> like, apparently he's been saying that we're adopted and the dad just goes, weird. <laughs> it's very Midwestern right there. That's... Oh, my God. Indicator. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, it's, it's two people from Illinois. I was like, oh, I know Decatur. <laughs> uh, good movie. I, it was fun Soderbergh. Yes, and and I think this is also like a... I really like the look of this movie. I don't know, maybe it was a little too orange. Or like, the, the color correcting is still weird, but I like how, yeah. like, there's a lot of, like... It's almost, like, beautifully flawed in a way. You know, like, they're moving the camera, and it's, like, shaking... And there's, yeah. like, shaky dolly shots, or there's, like, lens glares, but it all looks really cool. I, I like the, it a lot. I think why it works for me is because it's, like, you know, it's in southern Illinois. Like, that's kind of how I picture southern Illinois. Yeah, exactly. Like, kind of that weird color. Like, that, it just worked. Like, that worked for me. The coloring, like, didn't even, like, I don't even think I thought about it because I was just like, yeah, this is probably what Decatur looks like. Yeah. It, looked, it just looks beautiful. Uh, the Informant's such a great movie. It needs to come back to Netflix. Come back to Netflix, the informant. Agreed. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a whole, like, movie, uh, a sl- slew of movies here that um, I-, I hold in sort of, like, the same esteem, um, and I've given them four stars. Uh, the Informant was one. High Flying Bird was one. Ocean's 12 was one. All those are off the board for us now, though. So I'm going to go... Um, with behind the candelabra, mm, that's a fun pick. As uh, yeah, I behind the candelabra and the informant, I I feel like are in sort of it, like I don't know why they would be, but they sort of feel like a perfect double feature to me. They yeah. just feel like in conversation with each other. In some I did way. that <laughs> literally. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, I think this was the first movie that Steven Soderbergh made after he um, said he was going to retire and then he made this for HBO. Yeah, that's right. He said he was going to retire for some reason and then he went and made The Nick and then he came back and he made this show or this movie for HBO and um, it's, you know, him doing the biopic thing again and I think maybe my one knock against this movie is that it's very much so following the formats of a biopic but I think the reason why it's such a good movie is a the whole cast is amazing, but um, Damon and Douglas especially have have really good chemistry, and watching them together on screen is um, you know just fascinating. 
and seeing their dynamic change. And uh, I was watching a behind the scenes thing about it. And they said that they both just, um, they, they both just like approached it. Like it was just a really interesting romance movie. And I think that is what this is, is it's just like, it, it's, it's just talking about the way that these two people had this like really sick damaged relationship, but they loved each other. And like, I know that description sounds heavy, but it's very light. It's very fun to watch. Um, you just sort of Scott, see Scott played by Matt Damon, like go from like very naive to sort of jaded by the whole scenario. Um, and Scott's foster parents are just like very confused about the yeah. whole dynamic of them both of Scott, both being in a relationship with and being adopted by Liberace <laughs> and like seeing the way the two people change is, is fascinating. And Michael Douglas is having so much fun as Liberace. And the last scene where you see him, where he's at like his funeral, where he has the show and then he like floats away, I think is such a good send off for the character of Liberace in the movie. Yeah, it's a very interesting film, I think. And it's another cool biopic of his. And I think this one works because it's just the great, you know, the great cast. It, there's really no other way to put it. I, I don't think, I don't, I don't think. Um, I love Michael Douglas in this movie. Michael Douglas has always done good things i think well i don't know if i love much reference but he, he did a good thing here with he did a good thing here with soderbergh and this movie is like this might be like a tough comparison but it kind of reminded me of like maybe like bohemian rhapsody but like better but like way better <laughs> and like way more watchable and way more consumable and like just everything was better about <laughs> everything was better about it the only thing that was the same about it was you know a famous person having like this dying of age essentially um i think in a lot of ways bohemian rhapsody was trying to be this movie and they just didn't have the competence of filmmaking just wasn't there no not at all and i think what i liked about behind caleb labra is i just had like a lot of fun watching like even as like scott thorson was like clearly like going this way with his life i was like I was like, I'm still like enjoying what he's doing. And every time he was on the screen, I'm like, oh God, what's, what's Matt Damon about to do now? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rob Lowe was good. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know the word for it, what he was in this movie. Rob Lowe is both amazing and possibly like sedated this whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> he said that apparently they had to like take his temples and like tape them backwards and then like put the wig over the tape in order to get his, like, Botox look in this movie. Part, part of me wanted them to just take Matt Damon out of the movie entirely after he got the uh, Botox cut on his face and just have it be two Michael Douglases talking to each other. <laughs> the young Michael Douglas from, like, the beginning of Ant-Man. <laughs> Michael Douglas and Damon, though, they're just clearly having so much fun. Like, they were talking about... In, in in an interview for behind the behind the scenes, uh, Michael Douglas was talking about how the first scene they shot together um, was when Matt Damon is in the like sequined um, like mankini and gets out of the pool and walks over to like the lounger and and kisses my, uh, Michael Douglas on the mouth and, and Michael Douglas is like having fun so he improved and grabbed his ass. <laughs> And that's the cut that's in the movie, and it's hilarious. <laughs> Two guys who just like are professionals, and I don't think I don't think either of them are are gay, but they were just like comfortable with everything going on, and it was just hilarious. Like they were, uh, 
they were a lot of fun to watch. Like I had a really, really good time watching that movie. Yeah, it's just so much fun. It's it's a, a grade A biopic for sure. <laughs> I, you know, if they want to, if they got together, I wouldn't be mad. You they know, could adopt me. They could adopt me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, you know, I would definitely like to be adopted by Michael Douglas <laughs> and Matt Damon. <laughs> That's a good choice. I'm happy we got to talk about that movie. Yeah, I like it a lot, and it's it's on HBO Max for everybody. So, you know, it's a good good one to go watch. All right. What so is my- your Oh, this is tough. I have two movies here. I'm like, I have two movies here. I have rated higher than the movie I'm going to pick. Okay. But I just want to go with a movie that I think oh, is tough. I wish I knew what you were going to pick just because I want to make sure we talk about these movies. Hmm. Well, well, honorable mentions. This is your last pick, by the way. I know, I know, you know, but that's for the listening audience. I'm going to stick to my rating here, pick Contagion. Ah, okay. That was what I was going to pick uh, now. Contagion <laughs> is a movie that I like. Ever since I watched it for the first time right at the start of quarantine, I just have honestly wanted to watch it again. The way it <laughs> moves, the way there's so many different characters having like so many different like plots of their own. We've like kind of talked about how movies like that don't really work, where there's like, here's like six different plots. And how like and they all impact each other, but like they don't necessarily like cross paths all the time. Uh-huh. And this is a movie that just works in so many ways, where it just like hits all these different beats, and it's all so believable because we're literally living through it. And it's such a movie that was ahead of its time because like how the heck did he know this is exactly how a pandemic would go? And every performance is amazing. Like Matt Damon is so good as like the dad who's just trying to like protect his daughter. And Jude Law is incredible as, like, the guy who's, like, faking, like, doing all these, like, bullshit, like, cures that are out there. Um, now I'm blanking. Who was the woman? It was Kate Winslet. No. Kate Winslet that gets sick? Who's the woman that is, like, tasked with trying to find... Yeah, it is Kate Winslet. She's the one who has to, like, find all the different places to, like, yeah. put all these beds for people who get sick. And I think everyone just plays their part perfectly. And it's such a good, like, even though there's a lot going on, it all works perfectly. And it's a movie I think you could watch like a million times and still pick up on new things. This movie is like high key terrifying now. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a horror movie. I like I, when I wa- rewatched it, I was like, I need to go read or something because I don't think I'm going to be able to sleep for a little bit. And yeah, like you said, like. Uh, we do normally knock on the, these like ensemble movies, but it does go to show why they do get made is because when you do it well, like Soderbergh is so good at doing it, it comes out really well. And I think all the things that seem silly about this movie, all of a sudden make sense now, except for the fact that they get a vaccine after 133 days and we're still sitting here like, uh, but you know, like, like Jude law as like the blogger that like, carries a lot of weight and you know you're like sitting there and it's like who reads a blog in 2011 and then like now where it's our president is controlled by blogs conservative blogs it seems like and then you know like matt damon where they're like well it's just in your in your blood that that you're immune to this and it's like now we understand what antibodies are and yeah. things like that and you're like oh okay that makes sense or or you know winslet like describing how 
reproductive the disease is. And I'm like, the, I'm like sitting there like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> this is like a, a, a nightmarish dream, but it was so good. Having Lawrence Fishburne go up there and be like, the best thing we can do is like social distance. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, this could have been released today and it yeah. would have been like, people would have been losing their minds. It, it's a great movie. And I, I, I uh, I'm glad, like, I'm glad that. I've like now seen it and I think it's one that I'll revisit a lot of times to be like, wow, remember, remember when we had that pandemic? Like here's a movie about it. Not really, but here it is. So it'll like, it's like, oh, feels like almost the movie that we're going to show children uh, to explain the 2020 coronavirus pandemic in a way, Pretty you much. know, to, to be like, this is a dramatization, not this. Well, uh, this is a dramatization, but um this is kind of what it was like, yeah. you know. Agreed. What's your Just final so pick? So there's a lot of ways I could go here. Um, we could do traffic, which we already talked about, not going that direction. Could do side effects, which I watched recently. It's a fun little movie. I was thinking about um, that. I, I'm not going to do uh, either of the Che movies, like even though I've seen them. Those are great. Go watch those. Um I am going to go with Logan Lucky here in the final spot. Um, Soderbergh's movie from 2017, uh, just incredibly watchable. Great, great chemistry between Channing Tatum and Adam Driver. Uh, Adam Driver, just one of my favorite actors. This definitely in there as it is it, as one of my favorites of his roles with the the fake arm that he has. I love all the ways that kind of gets pulled into hijinks um and and daniel craig in his first role where he gets to do a southern accent <laughs> oh my god i fucking love him in this yes uh and sort of like bringing the the heist you know the sort of like heist from oceans 11 but to like nascar and to the south i thought it was something that um should have seemed really stupid but it's executed very well and this one is once again just very funny very fun to watch them pull up this heist. And then I also like the like little in- inclusion of Hillary Swank at the end, trying to like track them down and figure out what happened. And I've also got to say, this is probably the best use of Take Me Home Country Roads in a movie where the little girl sings it at the, yep. at the talent show at the end. So yep. good. <laughs> I, I, uh, I just watched Logan Lucky and I was, I was torn between that and Contagion more or less for that last pick. And I, re- I really enjoyed Logan Lucky. I think it's uh. I really like the chemistry between Channing Tatum and Adam Driver that you mentioned. It's so funny. They're just like so good. Like Channing Tatum, I feel like without Steven Soderbergh, people would think he's like an awful actor. I feel like yeah. Soderbergh really tapped into something that I don't think anyone else ever did. Who the heck directed Foxcatcher? Because that guy did not, could not find whatever made Channing Tatum a good actor. Bennett, Bennett Miller? Yes. Director of? Director of Moneyball and Capote. <laughs> Wow, it's a lot of different kind of movies. I love Moneyball. Anyway, uh, uh, I liked Riley Keough a lot. I like Riley Keough a ton, <laughs> just in general as an actress. I do love every time he's in a movie, like the number five IMDb trivia is Riley Keough is the granddaughter of Elvis Presley. And it's like, yeah. like wow, really? You're like, I know. I've read that 10 times. <laughs> Riley Keough, uh, under underrated actress for sure. Oh, I yeah. always like whenever she pops up in anything. 
I also like how they use NASCAR drivers for a bunch of like little bit roles. I don't know if you knew that, but they yeah. use like Carl Edwards as one of the sheriffs. Like a lot of just like random bit roles here that I didn't even notice. I was like, oh, typical looking white guy. It's a fun little like IMDb to go through. Like Katie Holmes is in this a little bit. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jerry from Parks and Rec is in it. Uh, <laughs> Seth MacFarlane is in it. Yes. Sebastian Stan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like just a, a bunch of the like small. Or, a bunch of big names and small roles where you're like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm excited for the sequel. That's absolutely coming. It's going to be a lot of fun. I wish this movie made money. Did you know that? That this was like a huge flop, apparently, this movie. I, uh, I did not see it when it came out. So I, I, I accept responsibility. It came out in August. Well, it's not really a summer blockbuster. No, it's fun, but it's not really a, it's not really a blockbuster. I feel like this could have cleaned up if it came out in like March and people and it would have been like Baby Driver. I think a lot of people didn't see it because they highly prioritized a digital marketing campaign. Um, and so just not a lot of like people that aren't super tuned into movies um, went out and saw it. This was this was one where you could definitely feel Soderbergh wanted the streaming services before they were really ready for him because he was like, I hate how much money we pay trying to market our films. Let's try and market these things differently. And it yep. just didn't work. Uh, but this is incredibly underseen. Everybody should go watch this movie. Do you want to know what I went and saw that week instead? What? The Hitman's Bodyguard, a movie I actually really liked. Really? Okay. Yeah. Have you seen With that? Samuel? No. Yeah. It's uh. It's just like a buddy cop. It's a buddy. It's a buddy cop. It's a buddy cop movie, more or less. But uh, you know, when you got the right two buddies, it works. Did they make a second one? They're going they to. It's going to be called one. the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. I don't know. I'm <laughs> there in. You go. Count yeah. me in. Are I'd you... love to see that. I'd love to see a Logan Lucky too, as well. <laughs> so my draft, and then we'll go into some honorable mentions once we say our drafts. Is my draft is Aaron Brockovich, Sex Lies and Videotape, High Flying Bird, The Informant. And Contagion. And then I had Ocean's Eleven, uh, Out of Sight, The Limey, Behind the Candelabra, and Logan Lucky. Leonard Fournette's going to the Buccaneers. Oh, great. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> more hype hopping on. Uh, sports corner here for a second. The, the Bucks are going to be so overhyped next year, and they're going to be a 9-7 and seven team. Like, I, I can't believe that, oh, great. They got Leonard Fournette, the four cl- four yards in a cloud of dust guy, for Tom Brady to throw little dump off passes to. I was all set to draft Keyshawn Vaughn. Anyway, all right. My only real uh, honorable mentions. The only other two movies I really considered picking that were not picked were Side Effects, a thriller mm-hmm. that I quite enjoy with Rooney Mara, Channing Tatum, and. Captain Zeta-Jones, and Jude Law again. That's a really, really fun, like, movie to follow along. And you're, I don't really know who you're rooting for the whole time of that movie. Maybe nobody. Yeah. <laughs> and I just think it's uh, – I wish Soderbergh made more thrillers after watching that. I was like, I think he kind of, like, understands what people want in a thriller. They want, like, characters who, like, absolutely suck, and they're, like, doing dirty things to each other. And even though it's not, like, a yeah. lot of, like – action scenes which Soderbergh isn't big on action scenes more or less uh really great like twisty thriller it's, yeah 
every time you think it's one thing, it's a different thing. And that's great. Yep. And the other movie I considered is Magic Mike. I think Magic Mike, even though it's like the, the like the male stripper movie, I think there's a lot yeah. of like the way he shoots it, it's like really it's like really intense. And yeah. you're just kind of following Channing Tatum, like trying to like find his path in life, but instead it's almost like he's with this he's like stuck in this like stripper group and Matt McConaughey is like incredible and who I can't think of the actor who plays uh God, I'll get it. I'll, is it I'll the new it. guy? Is it Alex Pettifer? Yeah, I am number four guy. Uh yeah, that's him. It's it's just like it's not what you thought. Like I thought it was gonna be like this fun, like male stripper movie, like it's like really fun, like you're enjoying hanging out with them, but instead it's like this really dark movie where like there's a lot of drugs, a lot of like temptation. It's it's uh it's not what you expect. I don't know if it's what you want if you're someone who's going into Magic Mike, but it's definitely what I wanted. Like that, it's yeah. what I need. It, I fit what I wanted. It certainly gives you like what you think it is in the first five minutes, where like Matthew McConaughey is like, "You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You definitely can't touch this." But I see a lot of rule breakers in the room, and then they're like, basically, the rest of the movie is a testament to how like that persona has ruined all these guys' lives. And it's really fascinating to watch. Uh, another good Riley Keough. Uh, Kevin True. Nash is in it, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Daddy, I noticed that too. Big Daddy Diesel, as they call him in the WWE. Tarzan. Uh, Tarzan in this movie. <laughs> and Olivia Munn is in it briefly. Um, Aaron Rodgers' ex-girlfriend. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, that's really all I have to say about Olivia Munn. She's okay. She's okay. Um, she's a she's top off in the movie, which I found to be surprising because that's not something I would ever think Olivia like that. Just <laughs> not, like that's that's not like her mo in movies. True. So okay, I tell me if you agree with this. I think that well, well, definitely a very attractive actress. I think Olivia Munn is like a replacement level actress. You know. She might be she's, lower than that. She's awful. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's not she's not good. Do you remember we went and saw that movie? Was it Deliver Us from Evil? Oh my god, <laughs> I didn't until now. Until you mentioned it, she's not good in that either. She's just not. Yeah. She's in there, right? Yes, thank God. I would have felt so weird. She's not good in that. She's just not good. You know, I, I think no. she's she's beautiful, and yes. that's Olivia yes. Munn. Nothing else to say. And. They cast her perfectly in this movie because she's Pretty just kind of supposed to be beautiful. And Pretty then, much. Yeah. Anything else you would have picked? There's a few. Um, as I mentioned before, Chase part one and two, it, you know, if you want to strap in and go for both two hour parts, they're really great. Uh, Benicio del Toro is awesome. And oh, the title too. role. Um, Chase part one has, has a great Matt Damon cameo. Can't miss it. As a as like a missionary in South America, um, I also for this watch Grey's Anatomy, which is a documentary he did, not the TV show, a documentary. Um, gray Gray with an A instead of Gray with an E. Mm. Um, it's Spalding Gray, who is like a, a monologuist, and he's telling the story about where he needed to get eye surgery, and. Um, I think I, I'm a I'm a pretty neurotic person, 
I'll be the first to admit it. And I think Spalding Gray like nearly gave me like an anxiety attack with how neurotic he is. It's fascinating to watch, but you're also sitting there like, Jesus Christ, Spalding. <laughs> <laughs> but that's on HBO Max if you want to give it a watch. Um, I also watched Schizopolis, which was, I think Steven Soderbergh made, after he made Sex, Lies, and Videotapes, he kind of did a few like studio things that I don't think he was super happy with. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of those movies don't live on streaming anywhere because I tried to find them and I couldn't find them. Um, and then he kind of was like, I need to get back to basics. He made Schizopolis uh, for very cheap. And it's these weird little like vignettes. It's a super weird movie, but it's very, it's very fascinating to watch. Um, I thought parts two and three were probably my favorites. Also, it's the only movie Steven Soderbergh acts in apart from contagion where he's, the voice of the guy that is having sex with Gwyneth Paltrow at the beginning of the, of the movie. Oh, Gwyneth bringing everybody, everybody the the, the disease. Yeah, patient, patient zero, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, okay, and then we're going to do a rapid fire thoughts on these last two. Um, laundromat, what are your thoughts, Wolf? Not very good, we'll never watch again. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I think it's okay. Uh, when Meryl Streep like reveals that she was like the secretary, I was like, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> There's some things that don't work. The, some vignettes are good, some aren't. And do you like how David Swimmer essentially played Ross, but except Ross, who was like down on his luck? <laughs> yeah, that's David Swimmer in every role. Have you Pretty seen much. the People vs. OJ? Oh, dude, he's <laughs> he's amazing as just like Ross being betrayed by the like Joey. <laughs> Basically, like... <laughs> what's the uh, other one you got to on thoughts on? What about Unsane, Wolf? What do you think about Unsane? Um, I went in with pretty high expectations because everything on paper sounded good to me, and I just kind of found it boring and slow, and it looked shitty as hell. It really did. I don't know if that was probably his point, but for me, I was like, Ew. Yeah, there's some scenes that work really well, and then there's some that once it, it's just it's it's better than I thought it would be, but it doesn't rise above the. So you um, went in thinking not going to be good. I went yeah. in being like, oh, okay, like I like Claire Foy, I like Soderbergh, like I was a big. I, I went. In, this is a, a super not necessary topic. I'm going to go with here. I went and saw First Man with a couple uh-huh. of my like friends like they're not like they like one of them like they like watch movies but they like what they like aren't like huge movie watchers and they like hated claire foy in first man oh. i was like that's literally the point of her character she's doing a good <laughs> job and they're like no she sucked and i'm like oh, my God. <laughs> they're like you guys are lost then <laughs> it's like that's the point she's supposed to do this like as as bill simmons would say wet blanket girlfriend yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think my low expectations for Unsane was a combination of having talked to you about the movie before and my sort of like anti-horror movie bias. Even though this isn't really a horror movie, I think that's probably why it's unsatisfying. It's like a thriller-ish. Yeah, but it's just yeah. And then, also, oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say unmentioned here, uh, traffic. Yeah, you got a podcast for that. Listen to the Traffic podcast. It's the same one as Aaron Brockovich. 
Um, and then also Haywire, which I watched, which is, eh, it's fine. I had the, I, this is a little, this is, this is not the surprise segment, but just some question I want you to answer. Uh, I had someone ask me, what NBA player is Steven Soderbergh? And oh. I thought about it for a second and I was like, okay, I need someone who's maybe a little underrated. Someone who's like won the big one because he got a best picture, best director Oscar. And someone who just like works hard because that's like Soderbergh. And my, I, I came up with one guy. I came up with Kyle Lowry. Oh, that's an interesting one. I like that. Got a I was title, thinking... all-star. He's, you know, he's just a guy who's been around for a long time. If he's a, if he's a coach, is he like D'Antoni? Is he Nick Nurse? I guess he hasn't been around. Uh, Nick Nurse hasn't been around long enough. D'Antoni kind of feels right. But like, has D'Antoni ever won? No, that's Soderbergh's true. Soderbergh's got that best director, best op- picture. Like, is he Spolstra? Spo? I like that. He's Spo. Uh, he knows. He knows exactly who his guys are. He had a couple down years because I mean, not every movie for Soderbergh's been perfect. No, but but he knows. He knows how to. He knows how to get get them to at least kind of rise to yeah. to quality. You know, to at least average he gets his players to like be their best which i think is something soderbergh does great and that goes into my surprise segment so this is not a draft but i just want to go back and forth and we'll pick a combined five who's your hall of fame soderbergh actor and actress okay so uh, my well, do you want to go first or second i'll i'll take pick number one here oh, yeah i bet you will who is it matt damon yeah thank you i bet i bet <laughs> you would take number one Matt Damon's awesome in every single. Yeah, you know my philosophy here. If you're giving me a pick choice between pick one or pick two, I'm taking pick one every time. Uh, I, I think Matt Damon's the perfect pick one because he just like rolls into his movies. Like he's an unsane for two seconds. Yeah, he yeah he's in a, a ton of his movies and he's good in a, a wide variety of roles. He's good at being the supporting guy. He's good at being the lead guy. Uh, he he's funny. He's He's dramatic in some, just perfect for Soderbergh. They're a match made in heaven. My number two, I think it's I think it's George Clooney. I think he's uh, number two Hall of Fame, great in the Ocean's movies. He's good and out of sight. I think uh, I think it's and I hope he works with him again someday. Agreed, definitely agreed. Um, my, there's a lot of ways you could go here with this one. I think I'm gonna go with Pitt because I really like Pitt in the Ocean's movies. I want him to do more with Pitt. Wow. Um, I really do. I really wish he would do more with Pitt. That's I all I got to say. I think I think he would work well in a Soderbergh movie now that he's like aged. I don't know. I feel like an older Brad Pitt could kind of just roll into movies and be like, what's up? I'm here, Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, now that he's taking a little bit more like supporting roles and things yeah. like that, I feel like he could slot into a lot of these. I think that makes my next pick easier. I'm going to go Channing Tatum. I think Channing Tatum has been like uh, kind of a revelation in Soderbergh movies. And he's kind of made Channing Tatum someone who you see in a movie and it's no longer like, oh, God, the guy from Step Ups in this movie. It's more like, oh, wow, like yeah. he's actually a good actor who can do drama. Yeah, it definitely like changed Channing Tatum's career that he's been so good in multiple Soderbergh movies. Do one more. Uh, do one more for me. I got one more. I got I okay, Julia Roberts. Okay, good pick. Um, just watch Aaron Brockovich, and you'll know why. 
Yep, and <laughs> oceans. Yeah, exactly. I I have an all oceans big three here. Uh, my last one, I think, is I love her in traffic, and I love her in Ocean's Twelve. I think it's Catherine Zeta Jones. That was my next pick after Julia, for sure. Those are the only six I really have. I think you could go the Michael Douglas direction. Mm-hmm. I think you go the Scott, the Scott Blackula, Bakula direction. I do like Scott Bakula. I think he brings. Diff- I mean, he he does two totally different performances, and he does both so well. Um. Uh, let me let me throw one out here. See what you think, Benicio, Benicio del Toro. Okay. I, while I completely agree, I need to see the Che movies because my only experience with Soderbergh and him is when he's winning an Oscar in Traffic. So I agree because I I bet he's great. I mean, he's great in everything. I bet he's great in the Che movies. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, That's really. What about, what about? I got I got one more. I got one more too. I bet you're going to say the same name. I'm at, I am. Jude Law? Jude Law, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's really good. He's really good at a lot of Soderbergh stuff, too. I was like, I was like, who's in side effects? And I was like, oh, he's going to say Jude Law, because he's in the yeah. too. Okay, I've got, I've got one more. Is it Meryl? That. No, no, it's no. not Meryl. Yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, yeah. We, we'll, we'll see after their next movie together. Maybe mm-hmm. Meryl is going to knock it out of the park. And it's so. going to be better than, um, I, I genuinely hope that like the the next movie he makes is really good. I bet it will be. Um, what about so you're not going to know this guy's name by name? What about Eddie Jemison? Oh the, yeah, he's the he's Livingston in the, the Ocean movies. Yeah, and he's in the Informant, and he's in um he's in Schizopolis as well. It seems like he just pops up whenever uh, Soderbergh needs like a, a nervous guy. Is he in behind the candelabra, or did I met? I watched those so close to each other. Yeah, he is. He is. He's, he's, he's in the beginning. Yeah. Perfect. I was gonna be like, wait a minute, am I just mixing my movie? Huh? Any more Soderbergh thoughts? I got. I feel like we got a lot of good Soderbergh. I'll, I'll probably never watch a Soderbergh movie ever again. <laughs> to be fair, there's not a lot more Soderbergh movies streaming. No, I'm kidding. I'll definitely watch more. But like, it was just one of those things where I was like, all right. I've done it. Like this is my director. This is the one yeah. I really worked through. Yeah, I did feel like I felt like a big sense of accomplishment by the time I, uh, by the end of today, when I watched Sex Lies and Videotape, where I was like, I've done it. I've watched all of the important Soderbergh. What's the one movie? Okay, final question, and then let me just. I want. I want to end with this question. So next week, two thousand eight Oscars. I'm looking yes. forward to it. Yes. Uh, final question. What's the one movie someone has like? I'm not the lining. That was a joke. But what's the one movie someone has to say they've seen of Soderbergh for you to be like, okay, so they've actually seen more than just like Contagion and the Oceans movies. So I, I think it's got to be Out of Sight, and here's oh, why. Okay. Because it's still a fun one. So it's not like, you know, it's not like you, you, we were joking with Che, but it's like Che is homework. And like as much as I like those two movies, it's homework. Um, and I think as you get into newer stuff, it's it's a lot of stuff that have lived on streaming for a while. So like Logan Lucky was on Prime for forever. Unsane was that's on that's the whole point of Logan Lucky is it's going to live on Prime forever. I think. Yeah, exactly. And like like that's why a lot of his movies are so good good to like just watch as they just live on streaming a lot. But out of sight, I think, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to have um, 
it doesn't seem to have lived on outside of the the 90s except for people that are like really junkies for that era or like big Jennifer Lopez fans but it feels like a good like midpoint between Soderbergh's just fun stuff and Soderbergh's really quirky experimental things I have two options here so I think there's a lot. Of, I think he has some mainstream movies. He has the Oceans movies is mainstream. I think Aaron Brockovich, just first Oscar buzz, was mainstream. Magic Traffic Mike. One. Yeah, I think Magic. Yeah, exactly. Magic Mike. I think it's Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Because I think I that's a movie that you only watch because you see a Soderbergh movie and go, ooh. I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm in on this guy. And that's a movie that it takes some effort to find. Like, I had the Netflix DVD it. That's, like, a yeah. lot of the reason why I got Netflix DVD was, like, I really want to watch this movie. Netflix DVD's got it. Let's do it. Uh, and I was, like, and I just think it's... And I just, and I just think it's the perfect movie you have to find for to really enjoy him. Yeah, no, it's, like, not streaming anywhere. So, um... That's like, like sort of frustrating, but like then once it is like a good starting point for Steven Soderbergh and it's just a good damn good movie. Yeah. But you definitely have to like know him and like him in order to like seek him out. A hundred percent. Seek that out. Well, a lot of fun. Yeah, this was a great time. Um, we will be back uh, for the 2008 Oscars ceremony next week. Um, hopefully my fire alarms don't go off again. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my. My roommate is uh he he is a bad cook. He um he does not realize that you have to cook low and slow because the fire alarm is right by our kitchen. I've learned <laughs> that uh I've learned that a few times. Low All and right. slow, folks. Low and slow. Low and slow. Have a have a good week, guys. Have a good week. Bone up on those two thousand eight Oscars picks and we'll see you then. Bye bye.